When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're in the final furlong with Game Week 1 just touching distance away. Wowie, yes, a mercifully truncated preseason is about to give way to the season proper. With this podcast, for one, looking forward to there being actual football to talk about rather than being speculation and fluff. I bet you feel the same, right, Anthony? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but first, he's back. It's Nick after missing last week, but no doubt raring to go on this edition of WGTA. Nick, you're right, mate. Good to see you. that beard is getting uh, out of control now. Oh, yeah. It's a lockdown still going on, technically. Still working from home, so the, the beard is just getting longer and longer and longer. Yeah. I don't really have a plan to shave it. I tend to get you to make another Twitter account for it and announce we've got a fourth co-host. <laughs> perhaps perhaps but yeah it's um so close now isn't it to the start of the season yeah definitely feeling like we're reaching that stage now where we're looking at our FPL team starting to panic you know thinking about oh are we happy with this guy all last minute changes um kicking in all that sort of thing as we question our strategies and we're going to talk a little bit about strategies in this pod um so who are we we are who got the assist um you can find us on twitter or facebook also on Instagram, if you want to give us a follow there, we've joined relatively recently, WGTA.FPL is the account there. Yeah, welcome new listeners. If you enjoy the pod, hit subscribe. And if you like what you hear as well, we'd really appreciate a nice review, perhaps a five-star review. That would be really, really great. So thanks for all the listeners as well who've given us reviews already. Really appreciated. And um, if you want to join our mini league as well, um, the code for this season is CPSULF. It's always a very competitive mini league and um, we might uh, give some prizes out this year. We haven't fully arranged that, but possibly do something. We're going to cut and your beard off and we're going to deliver it in the post. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people would appreciate that. <laughs> anyway, Anthony, how are you then? Even lads, uh, good to be back with you again. Um, I was looking at Twitter earlier today and it's genuinely, I think, the first time I bothered paying attention to people's drafts. And it's it's definitely good to know that a pandemic and a few weeks off hasn't affected Twitter's group, I think. So lovely to see that. Um, anyway, Game Week 1 is indeed upon us, uh, but it's, this is definitely tactically much more challenging than seasons yonder, given that we're kicking off with this blank game week with no less than both Manchester, United, or Manchester clubs absent. So what we're going to be doing in this pod is basically looking at our strategy on how we're going to deal with the start of the season, and then we move on to listener contributions and our questions and answers round. Yeah, indeed. It's definitely a bit of a puzzler, isn't it? I think um, a few years ago, we had Chelsea playing in the Super Cup. So I think they missed the first game. But that was in 2012, 2013, something like that. Um, So, you know, here we are with United and City alongside the Clarets in Burnley and Villa, uh, missing that game week one fixture, which leads us to a few different strategies, I guess, that managers are considering to navigate this early puzzler. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking over those strategies and thinking, you know, what are we adopting? What do we think? 
think is best. Um, but at the same time, it's always up to you to look over what you're most comfortable with, I think, because I think one of the key sort of watchwords over all of this is that it really depends on your play style and what is most comfortable to you starting with, just because, you know, there's no right or wrong answer right now. For the benefit of hindsight, we may see what the best thing to do was. But as it stands, there are quite a few different options that you could go with to approach this uh, this start of the season and it's very hard to to say you're definitely wrong but there are maybe some kind of critiques or arguments for and arguments against that may resonate with you so definitely bear that in mind when making a decision about how you can do it and indeed you may already have decided what you fancy um so the strategies we're going to be looking at today I've given them a few names. Uh, big at the bench. We've always always go for a big at the something, don't we? Um, doomsday prepping slash booking. Game week one is a free hit and flexible working, probably in the spirit of the COVID context. Uh, to start with, I suppose, let's go into big at the bench. So uh, there are a couple of questions related to this. Just to give you an idea of what we mean by this, although it probably is fairly obvious. Uh, FPL Captain Fair asks, what's your thoughts on going into game week one? Would be nice to a city asset for game week two. Um, he says... Um, you know, he's got Fernandez or Greenwood on the bench, um, but he's not too sure yet. He's not too sure if they can go with it. And Chico Jimenez says, if we're not planning to wildcard early, which are the best options to start with on our bench to save transfers? Uh, so this big at the bench is obviously the idea that you're starting with a City and or United, probably United because that game with two Crystal Palace game, player on your bench and maybe a Burnley player and may, or maybe a, a Villa player. Uh, so basically you're using 4.5 million defender or a cheap midfielder or something to cover you for game week one. But you know, you're know you held back and you're saving that transfer in game week two rather than booking one in um, as the doomsday prepper one would be. Big at the bench, what do you guys reckon to this? Um, I'm on it, spoilers, but I want to get your thoughts first before I go into why I think it probably is the best approach, at least for me. I'm probably going to be a little bit more negative towards this strategy in in true style uh, compared to you guys, because I'm not actually a huge fan of it. I know that you've definitely been considering it. For me, I just just don't like the idea of of benching a high-value asset in week one. I feel like in game week one, you're almost instantly putting yourself in the back foot, giving yourself a disadvantage compared to some of your rivals. And for me, I I look at game week one, I look at the fixtures and I want to set up for the best team possible. So putting as many heavy hitters in my team, for instance, I've got the likes of Vardy in there and Werner alongside some other big players like Salah and Aubameyang. And I look at that team and I think actually that looks like a really strong team. I'm very happy with that for game week one. I I don't want to have a sort of a nine million man like Martial sitting on the bench or a 9.5 million man like Rashford or some or even a Bruno. And and meaning I'm having to sacrifice my starting 11 and having sort of very, very cheap neighbours in there, you know, 5 million 5.5 5.5 million forwards or whatever um, to try and make that happen. So I, I prefer at the moment putting in a strong starting 11, a strong starting team for game week one, and then looking forwards to the, you know, using my transfers to to bring in, in the players that then I'd want to bring in for Manchester United in the next week, you know, doing a transfer straight away, perhaps, yeah, rather than benching someone. It's interesting. I think I would echo Nick to definitely a large extent when it comes to this big at the bench strategy. Now, maybe my reasons are a little bit different in that I feel that having a bench every game week is something that seems like pretty clearly going to be needed right now, especially coming off the back of this international break where there seems to have been COVID. There are COVID fears, if not COVID positives, and there's have been discipline issues as well. It seems that trying to go into any game week with, let's say, 12 outfield players potentially available for your team, not including blank players, obviously. It seems a little bit tight to me. And 
as well, then there is the whole problem of just having so much value on your bench. Like you, you want to do well every week and no more than any uh, game week one is an important one to kind of get your seed and start and not to be starting on the back foot. I'd much rather be trying to react and get United or City players in as they hit in form rather than spend a week where I know that I'm not going to get any points for them starting off. So rather than have those City United players in my squad starting, instead I'm just going to kind of hedge across the big teams and give myself that space to budge across to your City or United players. So I have, for example, San, Aubameyang, Salah and Werner in my squad right now. One of them won't have been good in the first two weeks probably, but I'll be happy enough to sell. And I'm kind of hedging on one of them being a bit disappointing and making a clear transfer for me. Right. No, I see what you mean. I think it's just, I mean, like you said, there's going to be starting on the back foot and all this sort of thing. I think it kind of works both ways though, because if you're, if you've got that Martial character, whatever on your bench, all the way down to Greenwood potentially, surely you you can be proactive rather than reactive with your transfers, and you're just booking in what you're doing next because you're pretty much saying, okay, one of these guys is saying Anthony has got to go in order to fit Martial in, and I I personally don't feel particularly comfortable with that. And to me, it feels like kind of during a, the proper season, as it were, like if there's a blank fixture but you want to keep that player because they've got good fixtures coming up. Like, I think that that's kind of the way I'm looking at it with, with keeping Martial there. And like, But so often the reason why you'd keep a player in a blank in the mid-season is because of a value issue as well. You know, you sell them, yeah. it's going to be more tired to get them back. It's, it's, it's nowhere near as big of an issue now. And like, what are those players going to be like in you know, two weeks when they actually get around to playing? Yeah, no, absolutely. I just think it's worth highlighting the fact that you can be proactive rather than reactive with the transfers. Like you're not going to be in a position where you're covering yourself. You're not going to be in a position where you're trying to kind of figure out your new team setup if suddenly it looks like in game week three, this is, I'm saying, you're going to need to try to fit in a Bruno plus try to fit in a Man City kind of player. So I feel like kind of I'm one step ahead in terms of the transfers, although I appreciate what you're saying about, as Nick was saying as well, having being slight on the back foot that I've got a 4.5 million defender on where he's got a son on, that, that does not seem particularly nice. The reason I'm doing it is just I'm trying to find ways to preserve transfers and I'm trying to find ways to basically preserve that wild card ultimately uh, like the whole idea is of my start of the season is to get to game week three and then assess what i do that, that's basically it but this is all kind of clothed in the idea of preserving my wild card like the logistical geniuses of james and planet fpl and ben Quellen have basically pointed out that wild card 16 18 and 19 use all of that i'm not going to go through the convoluted things announced to be honest um but for so what of that is that the wild card seems a fabulous way to navigate that sort of issue at the end of the season. Uh, so for now, I think I want to give myself the option to kind of just go into the season with like a plan in place to deal with what I'm missing in game week one and game week two without using that transfer. And in game week three, I can make proactive rather than reactive transfers for two free transfers. That just seems to me like a nice little solution to the problem I've got. Obviously, using because I think you're going for Martial, using sort of the similar price point player that I was going to have instead of a Martial type character, which is Vardy. If he does really well in in game week one, I, I think you'd potentially be tempted by him looking at his fixtures: of Burnley at home, Man City away, West Ham at home, Aston Villa at home, and you know you could already be on the back foot thinking, actually, my entire plan is already in ruins for you know because you can't fit this guy in because you've already backed yourself in a, with a player who hasn't even started the season. The, and, you know, there's, there's question marks there as well. I'd be, just just sort of to answer the questions as well, I think with Achiko Jimenez, so for me, personally, I, I would say if you're going to pick someone, maybe someone like Charlie Taylor would be a good pick, uh, perhaps to someone who could just be a bench fodder type character. And then you've got your Burnley defence 
um, sorted, especially, and um, we've got a question of 4.5s later, but especially considering that the 4.5 million defenders seem to be dying a death but one by one at the moment. And and with Captain Fail, I, I prefer his sort of the SOM and 1.5 million strategy to having a Fernandez or Greenwood on the bench for the sort of the reasons that I've stated. But, you know, we, we, don't, we don't all seem to be in agreement on this one. I've got my stance, which is kind of a bit more flexibility as opposed to having transfers booked in yeah, for, for what it's worth as well to uh, Chico Jimenez, I actually have Aaron Wambasaka on my bench currently. He's the only blank game week player that I would have in my game week one squad. He could switch to Luke Shaw or any other Man United defender, to be honest with you. It's just, look, he offers quite good value at 5.5. Should be a nailed-on starter. And United were the best defence in Project Restart in terms of expected goals conceded from open play, which I think is the fairest metric to assess them based, at, based on. And Chris Palace's attack is largely non-existent so I'd, I'd fancy them to get that clean sheet uh, to start off even if they're not necessarily on song and flying uh, in an attacking sense being a bit rusty coming in in game week one no i just i still just don't particularly mind the whole idea so i've actually got um a, a 4.5 million defender of one of the teams as well plus uh, at the moment Martial, but christ knows if he's got covid or anything right now with mbappe this evening being diagnosed and at the moment my plan is to have a united attacker of some description uh, occupying a spot on my bench and I mean I still think that that's a decent way of approaching it whether that ends up being Naughty Boy Greenwood whether that ends up being Martial whether that ends up being somebody else remains to be seen I think that Rashford or Bruno on my bench probably is a bit too far you end up with a seriously diluted game week one what I like about Martial at 9.0 and maybe Rashford just about but Martial particularly is that he gives you like a decent enough game week squads I think to be getting on with in that first game week it really sounds like it's just down to how you assess the situation which as I said at the beginning is probably going to be the one thing that holds sway over how you look at things but for me you know, having those initial sort of players on the pitch and then taking them off game week two for the likes of Marshall to come on it just, just suits my the way I've, I've planned it but yeah um, so another way of doing it is kind of prepping or booking in a sort of doomsday prepper sort of thing when you've seen that on Netflix uh, but FPL net assets asks tongue in cheek if FPL will mess with the algorithm to keep the United slash City price is stable because obviously there's loads of people who are doing the opposite of me so they're not benching a United asset what they're doing is they're kind of saying either you know I'm going to bank loads of money you're big at the bank I called this but probably not quite right um, to buy someone in game week two or they're doing something like this so they're starting with Danny Ings say with 0.5 million in the bank so they can swap them to Martial I think for some people as well like just kind of looking around and some of the plans that I've heard there's more bookings and adventure holiday for a lot of people I don't really quite get that because it feels like it's a very strange way of looking at FPL if you're kind of saying, right, game week one, my game week one, two chance is already booked. Game week two, three chance is already booked. You're kind of thinking, well, FPL is really dynamic, right? <laughs> I'm now getting into how I feel about this, I know. Um, but FPL is an incredibly good dynamic game. Like, what do you do if your players are firing? What do you do if another player then jumps the queue? Like, then you're kind of thinking, well, I had the chance to booked in, but I've also got to do this. And now I've got to take a hit. I've got to do this, got to do that. It just, oh, it just makes me feel personally uncomfortable in a way that big at the bench does not. So for me, even though I can see the value perhaps in kind of starting with an Ings or starting with a Werner and then downgrading them, I, I just don't like it. I, I feel like it's kind of tying up a transfer when loads of other things could possibly happen, especially in the COVID context. Prepping, booking, what do you guys reckon? See, for me, I've been thinking about this booking idea and I've just thought back to seasons past when there wasn't a pandemic going on and how I never managed to stick with the plan that I'd set out initially pre-game week one 
by let's say game week three, there's always so many you know fires that emerge in your squad. The player you took in a punt in that you're not happy that you with anymore. The player who's hit form that you just you know, let's say the player you didn't pick that's hit form that you probably now need to get into your squad, if even just to cover yourself and to make sure you get value. The fact of the matter is we have a transfer window that's ongoing as well. That's going on till October 5th. There's so many players that are bedding into squads and we're not sure like whether they're going to start initially or maybe after a few weeks here and how they're even going to play your James Rodriguez types. So like, there's just like too many factors for me to consider trying to, you know, book my transfers in it. As, as you say, Tom, it's just too rigid for me. I thought you actually might be more of an advocate for for this strategy there, Anthony. But I think I don't like the other idea of the big of the bank. I know we kind of decided not to address that too much. But I think the whole concept on sitting on on a chunk of money is even worse than big at the bench, really, because you're you're just booking in the transfer that you're going to have to force to be done. And then if you've got a scenario, you've got four million at the bank at the start of the season, and Salah gets injured, for instance, you're going to still have that four million in the bank for game week two, likely, and. Uh, and you just end up not knowing what to do with the money. And I think if you kind of sit on a sort of 0.5 million in the bank and you're planning to do wings to Martial, I just, I don't know about that either. You know, there's so many circumstances could um, take place. You know, there could be um, early rises for Martial that catch you out because of the price rises and the price change of people flocking towards um, the Manchester United players. I think this um, algorithm question is a similar question to your left-field general's lost prod and I, I tend to agree with the sentiments that he made there just in regards to like FPL and the AFPL we've seen them manly adjust and you know adjust with the algorithm make little slight changes to prevent crazy price rises in the past so I, I would be surprised if we saw like a Manchester United players triple rising in that one week I think it'll be handled quite sensibly to to avoid the the market going going too crazy there. I've seen a lot of people going, oh my God, you know, game week two, um, all, everyone's going to be jumping in on the City players, United players, they're going to be up by 0.1 by Sunday night. Oh my God, what are we going to do? I'm going to book in my chances on Saturday. I'm going to make it straight away. And I'm kind of thinking, actually, like, we've got this afterglow of what it was like at the end of the season last year when it was just the engaged players playing, right? It was just the people who were well up for it, really engaged, knew what they were doing. At the start of the season, is it like that? No, not at all. You've just got loads of less engaged managers who are involved. I appreciate some of them, maybe some of the new listeners here are now trying to kind of tool up a little bit from there. But you do have a lot of people who are just going to be reacting to what's happened in game week one and may kind of just not have the bandwidth to kind of think, okay, these players aren't playing game week one. And they may be United fans. They may have gone, all right, I'm going to go for Rashford, Bruno. You know, I'm going to then throw in Kevin De Bruyne because he was really good last year. And when they find, oh, no, all these players haven't played. So they're going to transfer them out for the players who have played and have scored. I know that sounds really silly, but... I suspect to somebody who's not as in, in, into it as we are, a lot of those people are going to be very, very kind of uh, active in the market. So if anything, um, there may be kind of this kind of countervailing force to people jumping on United and City assets. Actually, there may be a lot of people who are selling them as well, just by dint of the fact they haven't played in game we want. But that's the reality of the market in game we want. So I wouldn't be too worried about those kind of price rises. And I don't know, may, maybe Nick, there's an element of that in what General was suggesting, that maybe they do kind of jimmy it a little bit just to make sure it's not particularly be mad but i mean are there any positives to this uh, strategy stag i feel like we both we were all kind of kind of uh, expressed our negative feelings towards it but i mean nick said it, it may it may be a stag strat um any positives you can discern from it because i'm sure there are people doing it i could see why nick would think it would be a stag strat because definitely in periods where i've been struggling and trying to play catch-up i've definitely you know looked to fixtures more so than form or reputation when you know, deciding on transfers so I, I can see why 
he would think that. And I think that is still the, the benefit with this strategy that it, of course, allows you to adapt to who's got the plum fixtures and probably allows you to get a captain obvious into your team for, for a more one-off fixture. Uh, that, that would be, I would say, the, the large benefit of Big at the Back. I think you're starting to arrange deck chairs on the Titanic if you are you know have planned in moves for your 4.5 defenders or your 5.5 midfielders. But when you're you know moving around your premium assets to try and you know get those good fixtures, that is you know there's clearly a route to success there if it comes off for you. Just the problem is is that when you've got a, a highly prescribed plan, and as we talked about in last week's pod, when price fluctuations are at their worst at this part of the season, usually as we noted with you know cheaper midfielders and forwards who are going down one as opposed to players who are going up one, but. The fact of the matter is, is that you know the, the margins are pretty tight on value at this time of the year, and zero point one um, can feel like zero point five. And my fear is that Definitely. even if you've got a really good plan put together, it could be hard to actually pull it off, even if it is the best laid plan. Yeah, uh, no, I, I know what you mean. I think uh, it's almost like with with the fact um, that I've got Martial there, it's like I don't need to then make another move to make that plan happen. So I'm on step two already. Whereas if you're starting with the idea of booking in transfers, it feels like you've got to hope that loads of things come together. Whereas for me, it's kind of just like, all right, one game week, it might be a little bit dodgy with the likes of Vardy, as Nick mentioned, doing something that might be a bit annoying. But Game Week 2, the cavalry is here, provided they aren't, of course, COVID-related absentees, I suppose. But yeah, OK, so we're not too sure about that one, but I can kind of see why you, you might be going for that. I feel we're running out of things this could possibly be, guys. We're on number three, and neither of you have said, this is what I'm doing yet. Uh, the next one is Game Week 1 is a free hit. And wildcard in game week two. So I've heard this kind of discussed uh, around the, the podosphere, I suppose, the likes of Josh Paxman from surgery. And I think Josh Moore is cheating as well. Maybe it's a Josh thing um, favoring this. And I can definitely see the, see the benefits of this. So you jump on those mad kind of transfer activities in game week two and you make an absolute killing in terms of team value. And Anthony relayed this last week, actually, in the podcast with Lee and Sam because, you know, talking about how a vast majority of team value rises are made actually by game week 15 i think um that's when the majority of your, of your transfer value is going to be made but i mean it's a bit of a sprint start isn't it i guess that's kind of what people are going for but do we think that that's going to be an, like enough of a positive or will it lead to a saggy end uh, once those who wildcard later have their moment nick what do you think about saggy ends Ugh. <laughs> um, so this whole idea was what? actually one that i think on the last pod i was on i was saying that I was planning an early wild card. This was kind of what I was proposing that I would do with my own team. Uh, yeah, and I was quite tempted to do this. I, I feel like with the recent developments, I'm kind of a little bit less sure about this whole idea at the moment. It's mostly so many players seem to be getting coronavirus or COVID-19 at the moment, aren't they? We've had several announcements today. I think we saw Mares in the port yesterday. Um, you know, likes of Sue Czech as well um, from the Czech Republic left the squad. I think the whole Czech Republic team had to leave and be isolated. So, and obviously Mbappe today, as you mentioned, Tom. So I think that is my concern here. And I don't think it's just necessarily going to be cancelled players, so to speak. It'll be cancelled fixtures as well, potentially. But on the other hand, we talked about this being a risk um, gaming 30 to 38, didn't we? We didn't see a single cancelled fixture. So, you know, it may be as you know, not going to be a concern. It's just going to blow over when all the players come back from their holidays and stuff like that. So it's it's not something I'm planning on doing now. I think it kind of made sense for me at the time when I was advocating it, the whole idea of getting in those Manchester United, Manchester City players. I quite like the idea of saying, 
actually I could have a team in game week two and just bang in Bruno, Martial, Greenwood for that Crystal Palace. And, you know, that could be the kind of game that you look at United getting four goals against them, brace for each of them or whatever, a couple of assists, you'll be you'll be flying. And that was kind of where I was leaning at. City as well, you could be loading up on De Bruyne and Sterling nice and early, but their fixtures aren't as good. It's more about the Manchester United fixtures at the start of the season, I guess. So I think that's why I was kind of going for it at the moment, but I think I'm kind of moving away a little bit because I'd rather hang on to that wild card. I think there's potentially going to be better opportunities to come. So like Nick, I, I was definitely sympathetic to the wildcard early strategy at least I'm not sure if I was ever fully on the game week two wildcard but certainly a very early wildcard I think remains my strategy game week two just feels that a little bit early like okay there are clear upsides of course and it is jumping on those United and City players when they're differentials especially the United ones as Nick says given their fixtures that's brilliant also if there is some surprises in the game week one lineups you can obviously adapt to that quite quickly deal with price changes you can react to somebody having a particularly good performance whatever that may be there's good opportunities there with that early wildcard. And of course, you just set yourself up well as well for game week two and beyond, and you can ignore game week one for whatever change that would bring to your squad. Just as you say, the, the issue is just that it's so early to do it. Okay, yes, there is the long-term wildcard better at the uh, tail end of the first half of the season, and that's a proper strategic thing that we can go into or you can find outside of this parish. Okay, so that's one reason why you keep your wildcard. With the other... It's just the fact that like there's just so much uncertainty. I'd rather see how these squads bed in. The transfer window is still open and there are so many teams who really need to sort out gaping holes around their team. Wolves is right back. There's Fulham have a gaping hole on one of their flanks as well. So they're right back as well, actually. There's some play- teams who really don't seem to have a recognised, decent Premier League quality striker. There are huge like transfers that need to be made and I think there will be opportunities open up because of those a lot of clubs as well tend to bed in players over the first few weeks of the season Arsenal maybe will be one team who you might see that happen with so with this in mind just like I'll just hang on just a little bit longer just to get more out of that wildcard when I do use it yeah it feels like you need a little bit more information to me but I agree with that and I think that the transfer window being open uh, until quite late on I mean I'm not suggesting obviously that a player is going to come in and play straight away but I mean you've got big transfers that have just happened this week like Havertz even this evening there have been James Rodriguez was announced this evening you may have you know stuff like United finally landing Sancho who knows like all of these things may require a wild card to deal with even something as you know seemingly trivial as uh, the Bournemouth duo now landing at Newcastle yeah absolutely absolutely. we've got a good question on them actually later on Um, and I also think um, you know game week two game week three wild carding around them Okay, I understand it completely from a jumping on the value sort of thing, especially I think game week three as well, because you kind of have the the tailwind of, of people who have saved the two free transfers also then involved in the market. So then there's a lot more sort of liquidity at that time. But I do think there's definitely a bit of deficit of information. Maybe it's, I've got memories last year of people jumping onto Triple United. They had Palace then as well. Yikes, that could be foreshadowing. But they lost, didn't they? Crystal Palace beat them at Old Trafford. I remember a cack in my pants because everybody had jumped on you know, Triple United before that game. So, you know, there, there, there are always kind of elements where maybe there's not enough information quite yet to do it, even though if you're making money now, hopefully you'll be able to then express that value going forward in terms of uh, giving, you, giving you an advantage. Yeah, and, and, and as well, I suppose maybe it's just worth pointing out that if you are using your wildcard as a money spinner, after the transfer window is open until just after game week four. There's an international break as well, just around that point. So you're going to have a two-week period where I think you will see more transfers than 
you might otherwise see, obviously, with it being a two-week window instead yeah. of one-week window. So if, if you are looking at that value aspect of using the wildcard, there probably seems to be a better scope there than there is now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's worth saying as well, but I'm, uh, I said earlier on that I'm looking to hold my wildcard in the game week 16, but I'm not going to doggedly stick to that strategy. Um, I'd rather get there 100k having used my wildcard in game week four or five to rejig my squad and need to take some hits rather than getting there 1 million of wildcard in hand and, and trying to make up. I'd much prefer to be in, in snow and boat A than boat B. So that sounded like the first thing, uh, Anthony, that you were even vaguely warm to, which is an early wildcard, but this doesn't sound like a strategy still. Um, and I've seen, you know, the, I think the first three, big at the bench, this kind of prepping idea and game week one, three hits a wildcard, game week two, YOLO. Like those were the ones that I really felt were quite common on you know, on the social channels and stuff. So I'm a bit bemused about where we are. I mean, Simon Angora, chairman, said to us, you know, how are we cutting through the herd mentality on Twitter? It's getting to him a little bit in terms of the setups. And it sounds like uh, you guys have managed to cut through it because I think we've reached the last one, which is maximum flexibility slash flexible working hours. I've described this as being have no plan, just play it. I love a bit of laissez-faire. But you're both nodding. Nick, what's going on? You're normally you know, the arc planner and here you are indulging in liberal behaviours what's happening beard getting to your head Nick it's the beard perhaps isn't it? perhaps you know, <laughs> I don't have a craft beard tonight unfortunately I normally do <laughs> just the bearded hipster yeah I think it's just for I just like being a little bit flexible I don't really have a plan in mind my kind of plan I guess was to set up with a strong team that I would be happy with for the first five game weeks or so and, and make transfers as and when you know if I'm gonna say I had anything planned I, I kind of was looking at Aubameyang and selling him in game week three for a Manchester United or a Manchester City midfielder I would potentially look to bring in a Manchester United player for game week two as well depending on who looked particularly crap in, in game week one so if it's a case that Vardy was dreadful and looks past it then maybe I'd bring in Martial I'm looking at it at the moment and saying right I really want a good team for game one I want a good team for the first five game weeks or so but I will bring in some Manchester United and Manchester City players at some points but I don't know when it all depends on what happens we've got a lot of stuff happening in in the real world as well as on the pitch it's frantic the news is like today's been ridiculous with the breaking news of Greenwood and Foden being kicked out of the England squad Mbappe getting coronavirus about an hour before we went live as I said Laporte and Mares as well it's, it's wild right now so could be the whole French team we were just debating before the herd went live could now have to quarantine we haven't heard anything maybe you'll, you'll know by the time you actually hear this but it just feels like it's so much going on that I just want as flexible approach as possible and just be kind of ready for whatever happens and, and react as and when they do we're just classic millennials really just you know some millennials do yoga to be you flexible <laughs> we're just flexible in our transfer strategies you know that's just how it is the fact of the matter is look it's covid it's the discipline issues it's the fact that like this international break as well i've watched two ireland games i yeah i know uh, i watched the england versus iceland game you could put that in the bracket of yeah i know and i also watched a bit we of the germany switzerland game yeah yeah and all of them you would say that there was a serious lack of intensity. There was a clear general match fitness issues throughout all of the teams that I was watching. 
I really think that we're going to see quite a lot of issues springing up in these first few weeks. And I, I really don't want to be tied to any strategy. I, as I said earlier, I've hedged across the big teams in terms of my premium players, just so that I can budge to a City or United player or one of their teammates of those elite players that I have. Just I just really don't want to tie myself to anything. Quite happy to just make it up as I go along for a few weeks. Use that wild card that I have there early if I feel like it. I think I'm more warm to it and I, I think that I can you know overmanage my way through the, the late part of the first half of this season um, so I'm not too concerned about using the wild card then and I'd rather you know use it in game week four or whatever if that's what I feel is the best thing to do but aside from that I'm just you know happy with my game week one team I'm happy with what that team would look like in game week two and that's about it okay now it, it strikes me that from listening to you guys and speaking about it there's kind of a spectrum you guys with the maximum flexibility, no real plan. Probably me next with the, okay, I've got Marshall on my bench, but I'm also planning to get to game week three, see what happens. Then you've probably got the kind of the preppers who are saying, right, I'm making moves one and two, two and three, whatever you may be doing, or you know, whatever player you've got queued up to be gotten rid of. That's kind of you know, three out of four on the scale of I've got a plan. And then all the way to basically full commitment game week one is a complete free hit you've got Mane you've got Salah you've got free Chelsea you know you've got Vardy sat in your team and it's all just a game week one free hit and then you're kind of committed to game week two wildcard as soon as you're in so it feels like there's a bit of a spectrum of kind of depth of planning as it were and we're all kind of down towards the lower end of getting just just bumbling through to game week three rather than sort of your Krellin or something who's really kind of already planned in his transfers all the way up to game week 16 no doubt and yeah no very interesting just to remind you then that Big at the Bank uh, the four strategies kind of are that we think are around I'm sure there may be some others uh, Big at the Bench so the, the idea that you're kind of benching a Martial but benching United or indeed a City asset something like that uh, prepping or booking so booking and transfer uh, Game Week 1 is a free hit and Game Week 2 is a wild card and finally what these guys are doing maximum flexibility um, I think uh, another thing just to mention quickly as well is kind of the key ways in which this is sort of enabled because I mean if you guys are just kind of going for the max flexibility a lot of hubbub around this sort of idea of kind of price points occupancy old price points blah 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 at the moment I mean is it something you guys have paid mind to or is it something that kind of just happens naturally like I feel like I naturally do this anyway so I wonder whether it is a thing with a capital T or just a thing that you do naturally when you're organically making your team. What do you guys think about this? Is it something you've consciously paid mind to when you're, when you're composing your teams? I think it often happens quite naturally. I mean, I look at my team anyway and, and some of the players that might come in at game week two and I've, I've generally got positions in defence, midfield and forward that could be easily downgraded to other slots. I think if I look at my team, I think the only gap I seem to have in terms of a price point occupancy is sort of that 7 million, 8 million midfielder. I don't have any of those in my team currently. I've got two very expensive midfielders and then two slightly cheaper ones at 5.5 million. And perhaps that is a gap in my team maybe, but I did look at the sort of the 7 millions, the 8 millions um, midfielders and there's not really anyone that I was particularly sold on. I'd I like Havertz at some point. I'd perhaps bring him in when he settled at 8.5 million but below that I don't know I mean I had Mason Mount as you know in one of my drafts he's made way for a sort of Alan St. Maximum character which gave me 1.5 million extra to to play with to um, you know improve my forward line so you know I've got a little bit of a gap there I guess in my team and perhaps I could get caught out later on by having that gap 
but it isn't something I was overly concerned about when setting my team. I think when it comes to game week two and the players that I would bring in anyway for game week two, it would be those Manchester United expensive assets would be the ones that I'd, you know, clearly drawn to, I'd imagine. And and I wouldn't be able to sell a seven or eight million to get those guys in anyway. It'd have to be an Aubameyang or a Salah or a Vardy that, that goes to, to get one of those guys in. And it depends who looks the worst. Looking at how I've put my squad together, I think it's definitely just FPL ting, man. It would be my uh, response to your actual question, Tom. Like, it, the fact of the matter is that, like, you've got two elite midfielders in there. Then I've got one, you know, high elite in Son at 9 million, let's say. I've got Werner at that 9.5, and he can swap to pretty much any striker given that they're not actually that expensive at the elite end of the spectrum. I do have a gap in that middle midfielders that Nick has as well. I don't have any gap really uh, amongst my defenders mostly because I've really invested heavily in fives and 5.5s and so it kind of means that they can pretty much change into anybody with one slash two transfers so with that in mind like okay yeah there's there is an element of not snookering myself with the price points within my team I'm not going to have three let's say elite midfielders in there and then no money in my forwards so you know it would be very hard let's say to get money into my forward line without two transfers uh, unless I had Werner in there and I really wanted to make some sort of move that would see him sacrificed but other than that like nothing alarming just a bit of balance yeah I'm pretty much the same probably a good place to end as well for this particular section I think just the, the word on it is that if you're an engaged manager I think you you kind of aren't going to be making the glaring errors that you see kind of newer people make. So stuff like, you know, having five blankers or selecting non-FPL relevant players from the club they support, you know, like having a Hoiberg in there or something like that. I mean, at this point, and as I said, we're through the discussions, like I think all those strategies are valid and defensible. And I think there's a lot of player choices, which are also valid and defensible. Like every single player at the moment has a, yeah, but this about them as a what aboutery sort of thing that's going to go on a lot this week. But ultimately, you just do whatever's right for you like it's game week one and there's past season data there's new signing scout reports everything like that that could possibly kind of be there to change your mind but at the same time you know it's ultimately about who you think is is decent here I mean some people will really look at ownership for example as a way to take their game week one drafts I don't know I think over the time I just learned to just have fun basically and it sounds like all three of us just made squads of players who we just kind of think are the best picks rather than looking at any kind of external factors like that so there you go right uh, we'll take a break there and we'll move on to the correspondence section the new nascent correspondence section no not correspondences and people who represent the team's correspondence with an nce back after this who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and normally the section would start with Anthony giving a, a league update, but obviously not this week. Uh, next week we'll be back in, providing the game week one and uh, detailing whichever crazy team has found its way to the summit of the Who Got This Mini League. As Nick mentioned uh, at the start of the pod, uh, the league code is CPSULF. Before we go on to the Q&A, well, first we've got the correspondence section and uh, we've got Anthony, whose idea this was, uh, to introduce. Oh, wow. I've been, my name has been associated with this segment. Wow. <laughs> it's like, this is a referendum on me. Now Hello, boss. Thanks, thanks <laughs> Tom. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, so look, usually we'd have a listener contribution in the form of rapid fire questions and answers, and we will have that. And that's always been part of the running order of the pod. But we'd also like to hear your comments, your clarifications, your addendums to our previous podcast discussions or wider FPL questions. So do please get in touch to who got the assist at gmail.com with whatever is on your mind. 
mind. Um, the inaugural uh, correspondence letter comes from our friend of the show and a man with a moniker which I think is up there with the best in the FPL community, Desperately Seeking Dusan, who you'll find on Twitter at Seeking Dusan, no spaces or underscores in there. Now, Alan, as he is also known, writes, Dear WGTA team, Captain Obvious was overwhelmingly chosen as preferred strategy in the last podcast. But isn't the obvious captain and ex-ante concept seen through the spectacles of hindsight? For example, in Game Week 31 Plus last season, the majority of the game opted for Mosala at home to Crystal Palace as the obvious captain, which was evidently a sensible choice given that he was the player that he is and the fixture that was there. And of course, Salah did score and he did assist and got 11 points. But uh, however, to a richly deserved post-result fanfare late riser, captained Anthony Marshall for a hat-trick at home to Sheffield United. Prior to kickoff, a large proportion of the community were surprised at Late Riser's pick. And although it is tempting to suggest that there is like an outcome bias in this example, the facts were that Sheffield United were away from home to a resurgent Bruno-inspired Manchester United, who had everything to play for. Whilst the Blades were without two key defenders in Egan and O'Connell, and most crucially, had no Dean Henderson, who was ineligible to play against his parent club. Prior to that game, Henderson had a season XG prevented of plus 8.7, making him the real strength behind the Sheffield United defence and prior clean sheets. Alan rounds off his email with a question. If you always pick the captain obvious, will you not simply achieve captaincy scores that are similar to the average score of engaged players, the ones who were, that we're competing with? Kind regards, desperately seeking an answer. I guess I wasn't on the pod last week when you talked about Captain Obvious, so perhaps I'll give my 10 cents here. Uh, I think I don't understand where he's coming from. And, you know, the example is a very interesting one of a sort of um, a pick that perhaps wasn't the obvious pick at the time. But when you look back, you know, you weigh up the circumstances around it, you, you know, it, it, it made sense. And, and Nate Riser was very clever in terms of that particular selection. I think I still personally, for me, I feel like. I agree with the guys when they were on the pod last week in terms of, um, you know, the rule that was the unwritten rule that we talked about. The obvious captain is obvious. I know it's saying, oh, you're following the norm in that week. But if you follow that strategy 38 weeks over the season, it, it will end up with you trending to a to a high score as opposed to a, a template score. I think also, I think, you know, that was an example of where it had worked, where the obvious pick, um, a different a differing, um, pick to the obvious pick worked. But, you know, you, you tend to only hear the stories of success most of the time, for, you know, on Twitter. Someone picks someone that's a, you know, a differential captain and it pays off and you get all the news and all the fanfare, but you don't hear about all the, the times it doesn't pay off when people don't pick Salah and go for a, a risky picks, for instance. And I... I kind of remember an example from last season where I went against a, well, went against an obvious captain pick, and the example perhaps was Callum Wilson, which a lot of people captained him in that week where they played Norwich, and actually a lot of people captained Timu Puki in that game as well. Both were like really popular picks, but they weren't obvious picks; they were kind of differential picks. And of course, that game ended nil-nil. Both players blanked, and that kind of set the trend for those players. And as FPO assets really for the end of the whole of the season and you know the obvious pick perhaps would have been Jamie Vardy in that week Burnley at home who scored and you know rather than going for someone a bit more of a risky pick like Adam Wilson or Timu Puki and it kind of blowing up in your face so I think I, I, I am still despite um, you know Alan's um, point of view I think and where you raised some very good points there I'm still perhaps in favour of the obvious pick is obvious for the, for the captain obvious 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm broadly the same. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it depends on the nature of the advice you're trying to give. Are you trying to advise people on how to win FPL? Or are you trying to advise people on how to get a good rank, I suppose, overall? I think if you're trying to win FPL, yeah, you know, go mental. Just try to get these sort of high-risk, high-reward sorts of picks off week after week. We've seen numerous examples of players winning the whole damn thing who in the past haven't really gotten anywhere because they just... You know, the variance has gone their way effectively at the risk of using the L word. Even late rise himself, I mean, yeah, we looked at the, the example that Adam mentioned with Martial. Obviously, that's a very high profile, you know, fantastic moment of somebody going against the grain, going with their own decision making and that paying off. But even late rise himself says that in his upside chasing, he's picking his moments. He's not just going for it willy nilly week to week, but he does like these sort of high variance, high risk, high reward moves. In terms of kind of the general mainstream thing, right? I guess others going off piste in a captaincy week where there is a captain obvious of the people who you are trying to profit from, right? People not going with the obvious captain, the people that you're trying to step over effectively to get a higher rank. And as I said last week, if you zoom out and think about it over the long term, if Captain Obvious is obvious because they come off, say, half the time throughout the course of the season, don't you think that you're going to more often than not have a net higher score than other people who have gone somewhere else with their captain? So do you not think you're going to have a net higher amount of good outcome game weeps than other people do? We know how important the captaincy can be. It can be so often different in a good and bad week. And as we spoke about on pods ad nauseam, getting their captain pit wrong is such a killer. And a lot of the time, a lot of people who are very good at FPL also happen to have a similarly very good talent, which is being very good at picking up the captains. And a lot of the time, that is captain obvious. So there's something like uh, recognising Martial in the context of Henson being out. That's that's something different altogether. But I think in this regard, it's, it's just about kind of thinking, right, okay, is it all about good rank? Is it all about kind of thinking, all right, how are you going to just improve your performance a little bit? In this regard, with captain obvious, it's more about reeling us in rather than providing something that's kind of genuinely around an intricate novo strategy du jour i think it's more about kind of just trying to check where we are and balance sort of our behaviors a little bit towards kind of thinking right you can really be into it be really engaged but you can still make mistakes so it's just providing advice to help you in that regard i've already voiced my thoughts last week and i think i just fully agree it's just like you just need to try and stay patient and stick to the captain obvious and long term it's going to do better for you and i think Whilst we can always point to those examples, as you know, as Nick said, that you know we'll go up in lights on Twitter and we'll be talked about for ages, like late risers picked last season. The fact of the matter is, is that those come around once in a blue moon and taking risks, as I did, let's say last season and the tail end of the season, probably didn't do me any good, as it turned out. Anyway, thank you very much to Alan for sending in that particular email. Any thoughts, comments, clarifications, addendums you want to add to this pod or others, just get it into who got the assist at gmail dot com, all one word. Yep, and um, we uh, will definitely uh, hopefully have a more kind of, as the season wears on and we've got kind of a greater body of work behind us throughout the course of the season, have a lot more to call on uh, in terms of providing complex answers. But that was hopefully a good example for people who weren't quite sure what we meant by that when we put it on Twitter or spoke about it earlier on about how we intend this to work. Um to the more orthodox quick fire q and a's but yeah it's the 4.5 million rotations the first question we've received uh, first question of the season uh, seven wonders fpl and um, he asks what 4.5 millions we're looking at in defense and if we've got any rotations on the go or any were interested in taking up stag you said earlier on that you've never been able to keep up a game week one plan post game week three any 4.5 rotations that you're eyeing up 
No, I've eliminated that. I remember for years I used to be uh, sitting there on Twitter trying to work out these, you know, great rotating pairs or rotating trios and putting it out on Twitter and thinking I was great. And then I'd have ditched it so quickly because, you know, inevitably, if you've got a 4.5 defender, usually they're in a bad team. And at least one of two or one of three turns out to be absolutely cack and you end up needing to change things up. And when we had the initial price reaction pod, there were so many 4.5 defenders. I remember I thought we were drowning in riches. Oh, I won like, them wow. all. Yeah, we have so much money. We can put it all into midfield. We don't, and I just, I hate them all now. Like, I just have Kyle Walker-Peters in my team. And I, I don't even want him, to be honest. Like, at least he's nailed. And like, Southampton got three clean sheets in nine in Project Restart. They conceded eight goals, but that was uh, an overperformance in XG terms of about 3.5 goals. They probably should have conceded 11 or 12. Like, they have a few good fixtures at the start, i.e. Crystal Palace, basically, who I don't think can attack. And West Brom in game week four, who basically have one attacker in their whole entire squad that's a Premier League quality. Uh, but, like, Walker Peters himself, like, there's no real attacking output there. Three chances created and two shots from game week 32 onwards when he was first choice. So we're not talking about some sort of like underhanded or unknown Marcus Alonso sitting there um, at Southampton. So like uh, Ruben Vinagre looked like a great pick. And it looks like he's heading away. Martial, actually, the Marshall, not to be confused with the Marshall plan, but definitely about as expensive as something the Americans were investing in at 5.0. Um, like, the fact of the matter is, I've never seen fans so excited to lose a player as Leon fans were on our soccer the other night when that transfer was confirmed. They were genuinely delirious. Uh, one, play, <laughs> like one comment, no, one commenter suggested that you know, his passion and his errors are so fundamental to his game, it's going to cost Wolves so many goals and another popular comment was saying he had more red cards three and own goals two than good games for Leon last season I've pulled out the numbers myself so the three the two and the, he was 26 caps like or 26 appearances all season like you're not that good and he's meant to be playing left back according to Tim Spears who's the athletic correspondent for Wolves but like he has been playing at left centre back for this Leon team he's not meant to be good at left back at all worse than he was already at left centre back like <laughs> I don't know what's going on at Wolves so yeah that's my 4.5's rant. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely with you. Um, I'm the same as you that over the years, I mean, remember one of the first tweets that I did that got over 20 likes was a rotation between three teams on Twitter. That was when the, the account had about 20 followers, I think it was. And I was like, oh, Nick, no, you've got 20 likes. And you were just like, yeah, well done, mate, well done. Um, but I think the reality <laughs> is now we're so far along, it definitely feels like busy work to me. I'm, I'm not knocking the likes of FPL Swede or Legomane Dan, who spent ages doing this. And that's great. There's a lot of people who do love that. It's just not for me. And I agree with Anthony completely. It just doesn't last very long. Um, I, in terms of the 4.5s and how I'm approaching it, it's really attuned to the COVID context. Um, it's a 4.5 million phalanx alongside TAA of players who are just going to play, frankly. Um, I mean, they do have some sort of vague rotation in that for the first three game weeks. You know, uh, I've got Carl Walker-Peters as well. And then he comes off in game week two and Esri Konza comes on uh, to play, right? Esri Konza is a player who's just going to play. And Aston Villa looked very defensively good at the end of last season, so he's just there for that reason. Um, but really, they are 90-minute men. That's, that's the key thing. If Adam Webster had good fixtures, I'd have him in at 4.5, but he doesn't, so I've got Concer in at the moment. I did have Vinagre, I've now got Sice, I've got KWP, I've got James Justin, um, and it's, it's, none of them are particularly exciting. They're just there to kind of be a body and to enable the rest of my team effectively whilst providing me 90 minutes and providing me some form of upside. So Concer had a decent uh, goal threat about him. 
uh, from from those greedy deliveries. Um, Sice obviously um, plays for a team. He's five point zero, but plays for a team which is quite defensively solid. Although who knows with all of these players coming in and Christ knows with Martial hanging around and uh, KWP uh, full, uh, defensive fullbacks we mentioned on uh, on the pod a few weeks ago. Um, I mean he does play for Southampton, who've got a decent start. That's basically it. I'm not particularly excited about these four point fives anymore. I'm completely lost the excitement don't believe in any rotation but i think if i was to rank them i know it's not the questions so i haven't wonders asked but i'm gonna do it anyway probably looking at james justin first walker peters second charlie taylor or, or peters whoever comes out as being the burnley guy third that's probably about it isn't it it's not, it's not particularly exciting anymore if they're good fixtures brilliant i'll be all over them but as it stands i'm just not i'm just, just not excited at all so they're just there because they are bodies on the field nick what do you reckon bit depressed as well about the 4.5 million defenders, the excitement that we, we had when they first emerged, like Zabinagra. Um, he's still in my team at the moment, but it does look like he might move to Porto away or, or something like that. He's one to keep an eye on, certainly over the next few days. I've got Justin in there at the moment as well, like you, Tom. But, you know, I know they've signed Castagne, um, which might have an impact on his minutes potentially I don't know the Burnley defenders I do like the Burnley defenders I might end up with Charlie Taylor or someone in there well, obviously they've got a blank game week one so it's not necessarily going to work and then with all Peters I just wasn't sure about the double up in defence with uh, McCarthy doesn't really work for me um, I think Lamptey as well is another one we mentioned um, potentially rotating with Veltman who knows bit of a risk and finally the Leeds defenders no one's mentioned the Leeds defenders I think they could be some decent picks. I know there's been about 100 Dallas versus Ireland threads on um, on Twitter, so check those out if you're, you're keen on them. But, no, honestly, th- those threads, you know. like, I, I still can't figure out heads nor tail of why people are going for ailing over Dallas and some of them. Like, the fact of the matter is that, like, okay, they're like, oh, Dallas, there's actually other players that could play in his position. Dallas plays everywhere, man. Yeah, and he was first choice as well last year. Be a favourite, right? I've got, uh, full disclosure, I've got Meslier uh, from Leeds in goal, and that kind of sorts that out to some extent. So I want a little I've, bit of that defence. I've done I've done the same thing. I have um, Ilan Melier, as he is, uh, as well Melier, as... is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah Ilan Melier. I, I couldn't um, tell whether his name was, like, Eastern European or French. Yeah, no, I actually went looking earlier to get it right. I also have Marek Rodak actually in there. But a good uh, 4.5 point. What? Hang on, hang on, hang on. We need to discuss this. You're rolling for the defender, despite everything that we've said rubbishing them. I didn't rubbish their defence once. <laughs> I have to, you're, not, you're not tempted by the Johnston uh, button double up there. No, 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 no. I think um, like the fact of the matter is, is that that Fulham team, Hector could be a pretty good pick as a 4.5 defender. He'll hoover up bonus points. Like he could pretty much does all of the CBIs that that defense does. Uh, they have clean sheetable early fixtures for sure. And then like look, like there's Leeds in there, there's Villa in there, there's Crystal Palace in there, all in the first six eminently doable games but I've just gone for Rodak purely because uh, save points and Fulham gave up an awful lot of shots last year Rodak had like 2.8 or 2.9 shots per game last season in the championship that's going to tick over three that's a point <laughs> thank you very much uh, Tom's looking fearful interesting that a team facing lots of shots is, is is a positive it definitely is I guess it's counterintuitive isn't it that because they're taking a lot of shots you don't want to play a, a goalkeeper who's not going to be taking many shots on but if they do concede that's it like an Edison sort of type so you know getting those three points I mean, at one point last year I think Tim Krul by dint of a penalty save was second for goalkeepers so definitely you know, something in going for a Johnson something like that we that's did, what I'm going um... for 
Melier because he's sort of in the middle between. Yeah, it's it's just knowing that I'm going to wildcard probably within five or six weeks. It's like, do you know what? Rodak has a few decent fixtures in there. Throw him in, see how it turns out. If he saves a penalty, fantastic. And otherwise, sure look, like we learned something along the way that Fulham <laughs> conceding loads of shots means they also concede loads of goals. And if that's what we learn, fair enough. To be fair, we also saw it with Neil Everidge, if you remember as well. He saved a couple of early penalties and was uh, smashing it in terms of the underlying stats. It's very often that, you know, some of these cheaper goalkeepers are actually the ones that do the best over the course of the season just because they're having all the shots. But they have to be a good goalkeeper. And that I think the whole, um, you back in the Fulham defence, though, reminds you of sort of when you always kind of like fall in love a little bit with the players you're writing about for an article, uh-huh. like when I did a prospect in the prospects for Vincente Ibora that Tom will remember. I was, I was sold on this guy. I thought he was going to be a fantastic <laughs> well, I, I had, I had a similar thing with Trossard. Season. Oh, I had a thing with Trossard as well. I was like, this guy is, he's amazing. No, 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 no. Like, of course, yeah, underlying stats dream, but reality, a bit more annoying. I mean, I, 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 we should probably move on to the next question, but I, mean, I really want to know about the rotating keepers. Cause it's never been something <laughs> that I've been, I've been behind. And the, the FPL Rodney asked about this as well in terms of rotating keepers when I put the, you know, the beer photo out. So it's, it's just come to mind a little bit. But, I mean, you've got Melier, you've got Rodak in a rotation by the sounds of it. Like, why are you going for that? Why? What the hell has possessed you? I like to home it's, alone. It's, What's happening? It's, it's it's a crap game. It's a crap game week one for both of them. If you're looking at the rotating pair and you're like, Absolutely. oh, this is terrible. Absolutely. But, you know, all those shots that Aubameyang is going to be taking from outside the box, they're going to be great for Rodak. <laughs> and uh, then after that, Fulham's uh, game week two fixture. That's actually quite good. Uh, it's against Leeds, which yes, is obviously Leeds, also yeah. good for the other side of that. Yeah. Rodak then has Villa, and then I'm probably going to be wildcarding. And if I don't, I quickly scramble to check who Millier plays in game week four. Forget that. It's Manchester City. It's Man City, yeah. That's, <laughs> so that's, I'm playing that's, Rodak that's, there. But that, that's, why I've got him in. that's why I've got him in. Because if, if Millier, like, okay, he plays like two of the top two in the first four weeks, and then, then we're done for a while. Yeah. That's it, yeah. This is the thing with him, at least. Um, and Rodak just has pretty decent fixtures pretty much straight through. You know, like, they're not terrible fixtures, let's say. Uh, all the way straight through. It's just how much you believe they're going to struggle. But I d- basically, I didn't really want Alex McCarthy and Kyle Walker-Peters. Yeah, then yeah, Brighton's fixtures that. are bad. So I was like, yeah, might as well try something else, you know? Okay. When you wildcard, though, I mean, in the COVID context, just to segue and link to the next question as well, in the COVID context, is there an argument to have two rotating goalkeepers or at least two playing keepers? Is that is that is that a thing too for you guys? It kind of isn't for me, but I'm worried that I'm being complacent. Two playing keepers and two keepers who aren't playing in a game against each other. If you really want to double down it as well because if a squad goes into isolation then that's a whole game called off potentially if you really want to get you know freaking out about it with your rotating pairs and non-clashing fixtures as well uh, yeah I well I like to always have two playing goalkeepers anyway because it just means that I don't have an immediate problem if one player gets suspended or injured or whatever as we saw can happen with say Leno last season I think I actually ended up getting caught by that because I played myself with wild cards and stuff so yeah no two playing goalkeepers for sure Nick um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not huge on the two playing goalkeepers. I think it's like a, bit, a little bit of a waste of 0.5 million. I know it's not a lot, 
your budget, but I just think 4.5 million, 4 million combination um, works best. And I know you can sometimes find the sort of the setups in one team if you want to ensure yourself a little bit with the substitute goalkeeper on the same side. I have done a little bit of rotation, rotating goalkeepers in the past um, when I did have 4 million goalkeepers that were actually playing, like sort of Rob Elliott and I think it was Jakubovic or Pickford or someone when he was four million. Jakubovic and Pickford. That what a rotation that was. was Holland Sunderland. Yeah. Wow. What, what I just remember though so that like it always seemed to be the case that I'd benched the wrong keeper anywhere. Yes, it's great rotating keepers is a fantastic concept, but you have to get the right. You have to play the right one, and I never seem to. Is you always get like a. If you, I think I can't remember, rotate Foster with someone at one point and he had like 11 points on the bench. I've got vague memories of that. It just it seems to always not work out. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not huge on rotating goalkeepers. So moving on to the next question um, related to COVID insurance. So FPL Meta asked us to discuss the opportunity cost of making your team more COVID safe by investing more on the bench. Uh, Dabby Pierce also um, how the current context has impacted our approach in that regard, and as do Ian Mayo and FPL Carrot. So lots of questions on COVID from our listeners here. And I think for me, I'm not really overly concerned about having a heavy bench, you know, loading up on too many uh, bench players um, and, and spending lots of money on the bench in the case that a game's called off, a player's called off. I know it's a worry, but we didn't end up actually having any games called off in the 30 to 38 period. So... Hopefully, you know, we don't see that happening. But I think in terms of insurance, I'm probably just going to be a case that I'm delaying my transfers as much as possible. We talked about, and you guys talked about it on the last post, the Austin rule a little bit in terms of avoiding those early transfers and when they're midweek fixtures due to risk of injury. Uh, but I think for me, because of COVID, it's almost like just leave it until the last minute possible. And I think you discussed this as well. Just leave it to the last minute possible um, because, you know, there could be a, a news. We've seen breaking news every day, as we talked about earlier, you know. So I don't want to bring in a player earlier and then find these out for Corona because that's just a waste of a transfer, isn't it? So I'm just going to, my insurance is just to leave my transfers late, but I'm not too worried about having a heavy bench because I want to spend that money on the starting 11. Yeah, look, one thing I will consider with my COVID insurance as we call it is I don't think I will have my captain and vice captain playing in the same game I know it's something that would rarely occur unless you were capping two players from the same team let's say De Bruyne and Sterling I'm going to avoid having that happen but look having a bench on top of that I'm just saying look all of a sudden constantly and I'm so conscious of it but yes having a bench is definitely something as I said earlier in the pod that I want to have just even just to have your fodder Harrison Reed-esque type player in there and like look Teams like Spurs are going to be playing eight games in 18 days, including a 3,000-mile return trip in the next few weeks. Like the fact of the matter is, is that there are so many factors that are meaning that there's just going to be injuries, rotation, etc., that just having a deep bench will be helpful, even without the pandemic midding along in the background. And storms also occur. You might remember last season we had a game cancelled because of a storm, too. It was Man City-Arsenal, wasn't it? That's it. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah, and that that caused. Was a, I thought that was a COVID carnage. cancellation, wasn't it? No, it was initially a storm, yeah. and then became COVID. Because I had my captain and vice captain in that yeah. very same game. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so, I agree with that completely. I echo those points uh, fantastically. Um, I like what you said earlier as well. I hadn't fully appreciated it, but I like what you said earlier, Anthony, about not having players who play each other as much as I possibly can. <laughs> Maybe that's something that I'll have a look at tomorrow in terms of my draft. Um, but I'm um, in terms of answering the question, especially the one about opportunity cost, uh, one thing that I have done this year is I don't have any 4.0 defenders because I 
at the time of recording, don't think that any of them are solid starters or starters I'm going to believe are going to be starting. Earlier on, I said that I've got 4.5 million defenders who I'm fairly sure are going to start if I've got them. That's basically the only parameter. And if they've got decent fixtures, then great. Um, and I've um, I've not got any cheap strikers. I've got Harrison Reed, who's only 4.5, who I think is uh, currently nailed on to play, who's a CDM two-pointer sort of guy. Um, and I've got three basically players on the bench. I don't have a playing goalkeeper. Maybe I need to think about that. But the ceiling solo of keeper, I don't particularly care. The the nice thing about Reed as well, compared to a lot of other defensive midfielder options, just, this is like the you know it's the most boring nitty gritty the FPL to be talking about. Four point five million midfielders, the fifteen person in your squad. Reed doesn't pick up that many yellow cards as well, which is kind of helpful. That it's not at least it's a two pointer, not a one pointer. More often than not, if he does play. Yeah, he's going to be buried third bench most of the season. And ideally, that would be a 4.0 defender. But I think given how things are at the moment, I think it would just be very useful to have a concert or a Webster or something like that who comes off the bench. I mean, I, I did that in the past with having Duffy as my first sub and that was okay. Like, just a player that you know is always going to be there. Absolutely fine. Obviously, the opportunity cost of that me is that if I had, you know, if it was a normal season, no COVID and, you know, I... I'd definitely more be looking at having Bruno as being my bencher and having, you know, cheap players in a few places to enable that and make that sort of work. Um, as it stands, you know, I've got St. Max and I've got um, 4.5s. I could easily take them down to 5.0s if Suchet was fine, obviously, but I could take them all down to 5.0s and the defenders down to 4.0s to make it work with Bruno. But I don't feel like that's going to be what I want to be doing. Uh, this year because of how things are so I'm still trying to kind of balance it with with COVID in mind or at least the the worst case scenario in mind but a lot of the times it's going to be very very difficult to, to to countenance isn't it but one of those things that it's going to be the new normal I think we're going to just see players ruled out we're going to see teams with COVID scares and as Nick said I think you're just going to have to be holding those transfers as we said last week and probably in Sam. Right, next question. Formation stations. FPL King Paddy asks us what formations we think are going to be seen the most from the start. So we said on the very first pod, the pricing pod, we turned around and said, the strikers, <laughs> those guys, who cares about them? It's all down midfield. It's all 3-5-2 all the way. Now, I don't think that's the case anymore, is it? Uh, Anthony, uh, are you a 3-5-2 man still or is it all about them strikers for you? I've gone backwards again. I'm like I'm flip flopping like mad um, on who I think is you know what, which price point, which positions I think are particularly good. Now I think the strikers are bad again. I've gone back about two or three weeks into the past, and I've got Werner reluctantly, Mitrovic and Michael Obafemi as my three forwards right now. That definitely won't be that by you know Saturday, but that's where we are right now because I just basically don't believe in any striker under six point oh, and I'm. Not that keen on, you know, stretching to the likes of Ings who are further up. And I've instead got a pretty strong defense across the board rather than dealing with those shudderful 4.5 defenders that I just really don't want in my team. And so like to answer Paddy's question, like I actually don't have a clue, Paddy. Like it's, it seems so all over the place, more than usual. Like there isn't, there is a template there, but it's a template spine with kind of very random bits onto the side of it sometimes it's your ings people sometimes it's uh other midfielders your son for example is the one that's in my team it's oh like i really don't know what the default formation is going to be it's not standard you know 343 a few years ago was huge uh 2352 seemed obvious it's not now like maybe you guys are seeing this more clearly than i am but to me it seems like formations are really all over the place to start 
So currently I'm actually on the classic formation, so to speak, the three-four-three. It's almost the it's like the four-four-two of the FPL world, isn't it? You know, just as much forward as you can. But I still back the three-five-two over the course of the season. I think you know the only reason it kind of died a death from our initial pod is because of the Man United and the Man City blanks. But when you've got you know the likes of Greenwood, Aubameyang, and Rashford now being midfielders, you've got um, Havertz, Ziyech, and Pulisic from Chelsea. It's all You've got some of the options there as well. And you've got the City guys as well, De Bruyne, Sterling, etc. And Bruno as well from United. I just feel that's going to be where the money's sitting. That's going to be the key part of your team. And you're potentially going to have cheaper forward lines, you know, the likes of Brewster if he gets his move, the likes of Shea Adams, the likes of Mitrovic sort of filling those cheaper holes up front. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be the 3-5-2 the is, is going to be in vogue over the course of the season. I think the only reason it's perhaps not in vogue right now is just because of United and City not playing yet. And, um, you know, players like Havertz, Pulisic, um, you know, Pulisic is injured, Havertz is only just joined. But I think they're going to be quite key to our teams later on in the season. Yep, I, I agree. I'm actually in 4-4-2 at the moment, but I will be moving to a 3-4-3 because my big at the bench thing um, in game week two. Um, and I think that the strikers definitely at the moment are looking quite interesting. I think there are quite a few talisman in the ranks. Um, I know it comes out of nowhere for you, Anthony. Um, but I mean, you've got the likes of obviously Danny Ings. Um, you've got Anthony Martial at 9.0, who looks like a nice foil if you're going for Aubameyang, going for Salah, or in the future indeed, going for KDB and Liverpool player and um, you probably won't be able to afford to have a Bruno so I don't know it's, it's quite a nice default isn't it it does feel as Nick said very retro very classic to go for the 3-4-3 um, but I mean you know you've got the likes of uh, Vardy as Nick, as Nick mentioned before you've got the likes of Werner and um, you've got even him and as the forgotten man it feels like in the engaged community lots of really interesting options actually there but I think a lot of it is due to the fact that we don't have that game we won um, I think that if there were the KDB on the table, the Sterling on the table, things would be very, very different. We wouldn't be looking at the forwards. So we'd be looking at two forwards probably and trying to push as much as we can to that midfield. It's just the case of um, how things are right now. Um, I've got a 3 4 3, um, but I will probably be looking to change things probably over time. It's just one of the things you have to see how it goes. You've got to play what's in front of you. At the moment, having three strikers seems to be a good way to sort of play the situation as it is. So, uh, penultimate question, getting the band back together. So, this is uh, obviously a reaction to today's Newcastle news. Uh, Mike actually putting things out of his uh, very large behind. And uh, last year's Min League winner, uh, Jake Gallagher, um, at Match of the Dave, asks, what impact Fraser and Wilson uh, moving to Newcastle may have on them? And ASM, Alan Sam, Maximin in particular. So, Wilson and Fraser, a couple of years ago they had more combined goal contributions than Messi and Suarez they were they had one particularly ridiculous season two years ago didn't they and then both going there obviously fulfills the sort of uh, what Bruce appears to be looking for in the in the place of having the press transfer budget getting proven players and having Wilson there obviously meant that Fraser was more likely to say yes and vice versa because they obviously had a very very good connection uh, but ASM obviously last year was serving dinner to people who couldn't eat it in the likes of Joe Linton, uh, Andy Carroll, etc, etc. Andy Carroll's been scoring in pre-season. Uh, but, but I guess w- what impact do we see the kind of, uh, what impact do we see Newcastle having as a result of guys coming in? I mean, their start to the season actually isn't that bad at all, is it? As far as mid-table teams go. West Ham, Brighton, Spurs, Burnley, and Man Knight of the first five. Uh, those first two in particular looking very Arsenal-like, met their 
decent enough, at least to get you through to that kind of game week three. I'll wait and see if you're going for that sort of category. So what do you guys reckon, uh, uh, Fraser, Wilson, Newcastle? It's interesting. It seems to be a little, little bit of hype developing over Fraser, Wilson. You know, everyone's got these memories of, of two years ago and then how they combined so well and got all these goals and assists. So people have kind of forgotten last season and just generally how bad they were and how bad Bournemouth were. And I don't quite know what happened to Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth where we had a falling out with someone or something because this season kind of just ended. And with Callum Wilson, he had a strong start, but his, his stats last season weren't particularly good at all. You know, if I look at sort of the the shots he had, it was less than the likes of Allaire, less than the likes of Jordan Ayew. You know, the likes of Jordan Ayew, for instance, scored more goals in the end than Callum Wilson over the course of the season. And, um, you know, just generally has better stats and was 1.5 million cheaper. We haven't got Wilson's price right now, but, you know, I, I think perhaps there's a little bit of excitement over those guys and I don't necessarily think that they're going to be as good as a lot of people are expecting. You know, Newcastle are being praised for doing some... Um, astute business in the, in the transfer window in, over the past few days, but they're essentially just buying players from teams that got relegated, which isn't necessarily great. That being said, I've still got Alan St. Maximum in my team. I'd, I'd like to think it would be a positive that he's got Callum Wilson. He's, he's better forward than Joel Linton, so hopefully that increases his chances of getting a sit, creating space there <laughs> uh, for Alan St. Maximum to, to get into the box. And um, Ryan Fraser, as you said, he was absent last year, but that season he did well. He was sort of like second for assists across all midfielders, wasn't he? So, you know, I think um, I think hopefully for Alan St. Maximum, it's, it's a positive that, that these guys come in, but I'm not necessarily going to be rushing to say, everyone get your Newcastle assets in um, straight away. Yeah, little dad. Good first two fixtures. Uh, they are better players than Newcastle previously had. That should benefit San Maxima in some way. But at the same time, what happened last season? Like Monumentally poor from both of them. And that does make me hesitant to bring them into my team for game week one. Could be one of these like classic reactionary things. You know, Sometimes players just have bad seasons and they come back stronger. Sometimes they don't. I'm not... You know, completely optimistic about them. I think I would go for the known quantity in Sam Maximan and gamble that he has, you know, slightly better players around him, and that might benefit him more than I would go on the new players themselves in Wilson or Fraser. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. I think the price um, of St. Maximan as well is just so it lends itself to taking that punt. I mean, in the restart, it wasn't amazing. One goal, three assists. Of course, those three assists all came in the same game. Eight of the nine games, he did absolutely squat uh, for assist-wise, and he scored in one of them. Brilliant. Um, uh, in terms of shots in the box, three big chances, two shots on target, seven. I mean, none of these are particularly stats that are exciting me. I do own him because it's not it's not too terrible. I mean, the XG is 1.75. The XG is 1.75. I can read really off these stats. They're not particularly useful, are they? Um, but again, I think we're hoping there's an, a sense of elevation, I suppose, uh, from these new players coming in for him to have better better people to play with effectively um that could definitely be a thing uh, one word as well uh, miguel amaron um he has been overlooked because he's 0.5 more expensive than uh, san maximar but it's worth noting that he has a lot more shots in the box uh, than uh, mr san maximar does creates more chances than san maximar does he was playing on the wing uh, because of how things tend to be but he does tend to be more of a number 10 so maybe the new signing of Fraser will have an impact on him and move him back in such sort of creator role that he craves uh, or maybe a kind of a creation slash breaking into the box sort of role. So maybe we may see uh, the Paraguayan who looks like he's just uh, had a slushy on the way home from training do very, very well. 
but yeah, I think known quantity or some max man, fair enough. But yeah, Almiron is there if you do want a differential. I think he's only owned by less than 2% at the moment. So one to bear in mind. And the final question of this preseason is sickening additions. The equally sickening Adam Pritchard asks... Who do we feel physically unwell about having in our drafts? Uh, and are there any indeed that we just can't include because of prior biases? Are there any players that you kind of played with, tried to put in, or any players that indeed are in there at the moment that are playing a role? We both know why we're there, but we're not particularly excited. An FPL buddy, as it were. Sub out FPL for another word, if you'd like. What do you guys reckon? Any players that make you feel physically ill? Well, apart from Jamie Vardy, um, I've also got Alexander Mitrovic <laughs> and another another lovely lad um, fronting my team right now. And he is a player, when I look at my current draft, I think, what the hell are you doing here? What, what, why, why have I got Mitrovic in my team, especially considering I think I owned him two years ago and he, he was rubbish for me. But I, I just remember the, yeah, that season, it was a bit of a rough, rough time. But I'm, I'm, when I get Mitrovic in, I've owned Mitrovic. I'm trying to put away my personal biases. I'm trying to ignore my personal biases, my personal experiences, and look at it, you know, purely from a statistical point of view or the eye test. And I think at 6 billion, he is actually, he's 0.5 million than he was um, that other campaign with Fulham. So he's, he's cheaper. He's also a better player than he was back then. So last season, he actually scored 26 goals in the championship, which was the top scorer and his best ever career performance for goals. So he's hitting this campaign in his best ever form. Um, Fulham as well. I really like their fixtures. They've got Arsenal in game week one, but game week two to nine, they don't play any of the top six. So it, it seems like a really good, really good time to kind of jump on one of their, their players for the, for those fixtures. Maybe that's why Stack has Rodak. I don't know. Otherwise, I also looked at his record for Serbia and I was just, I was really um, impressed by that as well. He's had 35 goals in 57 games for Serbia in international football and 24 goals in their last 24 games, which is over the course of the last few years. But that record just really, really um, impressed me. And I think, you know, six million, he just seemed like a really good um, player just to fit in regardless of my sort of my personal feelings on on the player and uh, yeah so he he's the one that I look at and, and feel physically unwell basically yeah an international goal as well in just the recent break for Mitrovic in a 3-1 defeat to Russia so yeah he's he's still hitting that form this particular season I, I can't believe that there are hundreds of players in FPL and I'm also saying Mitrovic here. He's also in my squad. And I just don't like having him in there. He's a volume striker and the, the, that is his definition. Like he has a, he had a goal conversion of about uh, a shot conversion of about 17% last term in the championship in the, in the Premier League the year before that, when he was with Fulham, it was 8.4%, which is very poor. Gabriel Jesus, 13.9%. You all get extremely frustrated with Jesus. Keep that in mind. Like if he falls in the middle of those two numbers, you're saying, okay, you're allowing for the championship defences being obviously a little bit worse and him getting more time, so he's converting a little bit more, then you're saying he'd have about a Gabriel Jesus level of goal conversion. The problem is that he's not getting chances created for him like Gabriel Jesus is. And this Fulham team, in fact, don't actually even create that many chances. They were 11th for shots in the box in the championship last season. They're a very slow, methodical, possession-based team who can't counter-attack for the, seemingly at all. Of 151 shots last season, only two of Mitrovic's shots came off a counter-attack. I'm not sure how they're going to create chances at the other end this season. And because of that, I'm not confident in Mitrovic. But the fact of the matter is I'm not confident in any striker that is priced at 6.0 or below. 
I was going to say, I mean, Hindu monkeys are Shea Adam's train. Uh, I, I was uh, surprised that that's been dismissed so readily in the Irish quarter. It's, it's, it's nothing against Shea Adams. It's nothing against um, the Shea train. It's it's just quite a simple. I, I had him at the start of last season and he left me down so badly. And he may have had a pretty good project restart. But Southampton were like Bournemouth. Every year I would have two or three of their attackers in my squad for some reason starting off the season and they're always bad like they're just never good except for Danny Ings the one that I didn't put in my squad they're, they're always bad it's just like I just I can't do it I, I'll probably end up relenting and probably ending up with one of them in the team in the end because it always happens and I'm always disappointed but right now none in I mean I certainly have PTS things uh, in terms of in terms of Danny I, I just I, I'm so used to seeing him scoring when I don't want him to score for it's, it's Chris's messages in oh. the Slack Dings! Three horrible, goal emojis. Horrible. And you see, you see, like a select group of people on Twitter celebrating. You know, oh, for God's sake, not again. Uh, mm. Obviously, that was my mistake, and they're more than happy to celebrate. It looks like I'm also going to be going about them. It looks like I will have uh, maybe Shea Adams at the moment. But How does that make you feel, Tom? Just for kind of an insurance. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to basically hope that the Twitter hype means that I can blame Hindu monkey. He also tweets about politics, by the way. I don't think anyone mentions this ever. But he tweets a lot about politics. So it's <laughs> worth calling that out. Um, but last year, I, I really wanted to join in the Barnes train. I didn't. And so maybe I'm going to you know, use the fact that he's convenient at 6 million. It means that I can buy somebody, a few other players over. If I had Danny Ying, I'd have to make a few sacrifices. So I'm, I'm going for the Che train. I'm not too sure about... I, I'm a reluctant passenger. You know, when you go to... When you go and visit somebody, you know, like a distant relative that you're not really too sure about going to see, but you've got to go and do that journey. I feel like I'm that guy at the moment. Hopefully, the likes of Mitrovic or whatever will prove themselves by game week three and I'll get off. Or even more hopefully, Shea will absolutely smash it and more than cover Danny Ings. I don't know. I think he'd be the one that I nominate at the moment. He's been the one I'm not too sure on. I think physically unwell is probably a bit strong. Um, I think if I was rolling with the likes of Eric Dyer or Ben Davis, I might be looking at my team and thinking, oh, what the hell am I doing? Um, but at the moment, I, I'm, I'm kind of okay uh, with, with my team. Emphasis on the loco in locomotive. Hmm, indeed. Well, Hindi Monkey, complaints to him. Anyway, uh, so to round off the podcast, do we want to disclose our teams and captains? I think that might be a quite interesting thing to do. Um, I don't know if people do follow on Twitter. Normally, this point in time of year, we put in tweet teams up, etc., etc. Taking a leaf out of our general's book, as we all seem to be doing, and kind of uh, being a bit lying a bit low this year. I don't, I don't really want to put my team out there for uh, for general. Uh, not FPL general, but uh, a, a, general, a general dissection, as it were. Um, it changes. Up to last weekend, I didn't really change it that much. Now it's kind of changing every now and again. For example, today, Nizar Kinsella tweeted that um, Havertz, who I really like from Fantasy Bundesliga into the eye test generally, um, is probably likely to be ready for game week one. Ready meaning start or ready meaning ready to come off the bench. I don't know, but he was with the German men's national team. So now he's come in over Werner and my team's changed a little bit again. I don't think I'm going to go for it. But my one bit of advice, as I said uh, at the end of the first session, is just do whatever makes you happy. I think game week one, you've got a pool of valid players. If you're into your FPL, you probably know who those are. If you want to go back to our pricing pod, if you're not too sure, do that or find other kind of who to pick sort of articles, whatever, anywhere else. But within that kind of pool of players, just pick players that you think are going to do well and suit your strategy for the first few weeks. And, and hopefully that'll do the job for you. As you've heard, I'm going to be probably having a Manchester United player. Hopefully Martial doesn't have COVID or anything, but if he does, then I'll top that out. But I'll have a 
Man United player come off the bench in game week two. Um, but I've got 4-4-2 going into 3-4-3 as it stands at this moment in time. Don't know if it's going to still be that way next week. Um, and I'll be having Aubameyang game week one captain. I don't really believe in the early captaincy jinxy stuff i used to and nick set me straight very very early on if you did listen to that podcast way back at the beginning and know what i'm talking about as for the team it's gonna shift around a lot and i'll post it um after deadline uh next saturday nick what are you doing so yeah i, I had a team already uh sent out for general dissection you may have seen it on the OFPL account Mason Mount what are you doing criticised for the, uh, the inclusion of Mason Mount and he was kind of in there before kind of have a stuff all properly kicked off and that kind of changed my mind a little bit I know that Mount's dad's been on Twitter saying um, that Mason's not upset that Havertz has joined the club and that's rubbish but um, enough of that back to my team um uh, so as I said, I've, I've kind of moved things a little bit around since then. It's broadly the same, but I got rid of Mount and put Saka in for Arsenal. Um, I think he's potentially going to start. I think he's going to be a really good pick this season. I've used that money to to kind of upgrade Brewster to Mitrovic, and that gives me a little bit more flexibility. I've still got a Doherty in defence as well at the moment, so there's quite a few interesting picks there. <laughs> uh, but I think Aubameyang's the captain. He's the key man with Salah and... Vardy and Werner so there's got four really strong players and then Doherty and Alexander-Arnold in defence sort of the main defenders the, the crux of the team and then a few other sort of neighbours sitting there like some Mitro um, like some James Justin Sam Maximan hopefully they can do a job for the team coming as and when uh, so yeah uh, kind of been doing quite order by pretty much named most of the players in my team though um, if you can figure it out uh, so don't know if it will change in the next few days. It's definitely not set in stone, but um, I guess reasonably happy right now. I maintain the right to rip this completely up. Um, there's an awful lot happening on the transfer front, COVID front as well. It's clearly catching up with players on international duty. All the games aren't even played yet. And like I think you'll you'll notice that there are definitely works in progress in this side. Maybe starting off, uh, Tom might say, with the Rodak and Melier axis at the back. Um there's serious questions about whether it's a good idea to have two promoted goalkeepers at the back, but I find it interesting right now. Trent Alexander-Arnold won't be moving from my side. Maitland-Niles is in my defence right now. Will he play? Won't he play? Where is Hector Bellerin going? Is he staying in London? We don't know, so maybe he will move. I don't know. John Egan will probably stay in my side. Kyle Walker-Peters reluctantly making up my defence along with Wan-Bissaka, who I think will stay, but I may downgrade to Shaw if I feel confident he'll start every game for United. Uh, midfield, Son, Aubameyang, who will stay no matter what. Salah, who I think is going to stay no matter what. And then I have uh, Saka and Harrison Reed finishing out that midfield. Mitrovic on Fortunately, up top, he's not staying there, I don't think. Timo Werner. And right now, 5.0, Michael Obafemi. Um, I'm getting flack from Southampton fans that he's not going to play. I was thinking, well, it's eh? 5.0 and he will get a minute a game was pretty much the logic of it. And it was like, I didn't think he was going to be one of the first forwards to drop in price. And so I was like, he may stay in the squad. He's cheap, but he's not 4.5. And then it will just move forward from there. I have got the most quizzical looks from both of my co-hosts on Zoom here, which is saying that I definitely shouldn't have Obafemi, which is what all the Southampton fans are saying too. So I probably won't have Obafemi, folks. It's probably my Irish <laughs> goggles getting the better of me. It's not like you've wasted a million pounds. You've got a rotating goalkeeper you're never going to use and don't believe in. You've got Michael Obafemi. Get rid what? of both no, of them. No, no, I believe in both my rotating goalkeepers. And, 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 and then spend a million elsewhere. 
You can, I love, you, you I can love my rotating goalie to do really well, Carl, because you could make a better plan for yourself. Anyway, no, I'm, te- I'm telling you how to make how to make my team. are brilliant. Where's the issue with Rodak and Melier? Mad. Madness. No. But I'm telling you how to make my team, so that's rubbish. <laughs> and you should do what you want to do and what makes you happy. <sighs> we love you, Michael Obafemi. We love you. <laughs> right okay let's wrap it up we were who got the assist thanks so much for listening if you're a new listener please do subscribe and if you have been with us before please stick with us for the season and leave us a review if you've been enjoying us for a while we'd love to get some reviews we're a bit low on those on the old itunes and elsewhere yeah and we'll be back next week after game week one um yeah reviewing the car crash i'm sure of our opening game weeks of the season so I'm sure it'll be very exciting Rodak penalty um, save yeah, it's going to be great <laughs> it's going to be good uh, but yeah um, reminder as well of our mini league code it's C-P-S-U-L-F if you want to join us this season yep uh, thanks very much for listening during pre-season we hope we assisted you pick your team set up your strategy etc etc good luck pick in game Marek Rodak don't pick Marek <laughs> Rodak but good luck in game week one regardless of whether you do and we'll speak to you next week goodbye oh it's a goal who got the assist who got the assist Podcast Network.